This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring The Yay. Uh, Central Works, a new play theater, headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank Central Works for sponsoring The Yay. And we also want to thank our wonderful uh, consulting, consulting producer, <laughs> Mallory Samara. I have to find it on my, uh, I've got my little, um, I've got two, I've got my laptop here and I've got my desktop here and I have to just find it. So yes. Uh, thank and we you, need Mallory. to add one other thing is, and yes. that is acknowledging that we are, this is taking place on Chechenyo land. That this is the native people who were here. And I don't know how much they agreed to us being here, but here we are. And yeah, yeah, that's right. Their existence, their continuing existence. I actually live near the Native American Health Center. They are here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I want to introduce our wonderful guest, Carolina Moronis. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, I was just talking, speaking off mic that it's a small world. You work with me on Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, and you work with Norman on As You Like It. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I thought she was, I just thought she was a little sister. And then I started hearing more about her. And I was like, oh, this is the powerhouse family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we both, we both come in hitting, you know, yeah. throwing them punches. <laughs> <laughs> is and that he's right? referring to my sister, Regina um, Morones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shucks. We should have had her on too. We've had a couple of sisters on. Oh, that was good fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've yeah, had we the uh, always find time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We had the the Capozzi's. As a matter of fact, Isabella, uh, Gianna. I'm sorry, Gianna Capozzi. Oh, yeah. She was 16 when we had her on two years ago. Now she's 18. Really slimmed up. I mean, well, I mean, the Capone sisters are just knockouts. But and we also had uh, also on Women on the Verge of uh, Viramontes, the Viramontes sisters. Yeah. So, yeah. We should definitely uh, do that. In any case, as I begin uh, our podcast, uh, how was your week, Norman? I don't know what happened this week. It just went by. <laughs> like a bullet. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have, well, started off where I had a fairly empty calendar and then things just kept popping up. So um, I don't know. It's, you know, ready for school to be over and not quite there. <laughs> yeah. Did, and, are, you, uh, are, are you still doing rehearsals for a playground? Uh, technically, yes, but there are not very many rehearsals because this is, you know, these are all very short pieces. So we had one rehearsal beginning of the week. We have a rehearsal on Sunday and then we start in tech next week. So mm. it's coming. And in you fact, know, if I'm a good boy, I will actually send out, check in with my tech staff this weekend and start talking about what we need. Fortunately, we don't need much. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you're one of those directors, and actually, you're, you know, you're, you're one of the better of the directors that don't drill the actors over and over again. A lot of directors are sort of like drill sergeants, like, let's run it again, let's run it again, let's do a run through, and, you know, just to get it in the system. And sometimes the actors are like, I'm fatigued, you know, can I have a day off so I can rest? Yeah, well, you just don't want it to be, you don't want them to get to a performance that's just, you know, rote. So you want to make, give them some space to keep it fresh. The stuff that you're learning and discovering, you want to repeat that so that you make sure that that gets in that muscle memory and that emotional memory. But beyond that, you really need to give them some space. Yeah. Caroline, are you, have you ever directed before? 
Um, I've done a lot of movement directing, uh, for example, in the before COVID, <laughs> before COVID time, BC, uh, early 2020, I actually was the movement director for uh, Retablos at Word for Word at Z-Space. And so I had the great opportunity to working with that team on um, the movement and choreography on that performance piece that we did by Octavio Solis. Oh, very, very nice. What's the piece? It's called Retablos. Oh, yes, it's both. Yes. You worked on that? Yes, I that was, was the choreographer. Is that word for word? Yeah, word for word. Moving on that. Yeah. <laughs> so my my more of directing kind of focus has been more on choreography and movement because I love it. I love the creating the world of a piece and how folks interact with each other. So that's that's where I really sit on that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more on that. Um, there have been a couple of um, current events, uh, not a lot. You know, I do wonder, okay, Bill and, Melina, Bill and Melinda Gates, why do we care? I mean, why is that news? I mean, okay, a multi-billionaire. Because he's couple. one of the richest people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and okay, so they've broken up. But yeah, why do we care about them breaking up? Where's that money going to go? That's what the community is wanting to know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it's the same thing with the business. Everyone's wondering about the uh, there was a prenuptial agreement. And now there's news that uh, Bill Gates may have been um, messing around with uh, maybe hanging out with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. And so that's a brick in the air. Uh, Demi Lovato has uh, come out as non-binary. That was a big news uh, for uh, I think she's a they are a big star for the millennials. So I think that's a good thing for the the um, for that community. That yeah, exactly. The Greater Idaho Movement. I don't know if you heard about this, but I guess there's some folks in Idaho who wants to expand Idaho to encompass 75% of Oregon and, Oregon. Uh, and, yes. and, and Northern California. I think it's a bit crazy. I mean, you know, people wanting to redirect the states or whatever. So there's that. Also, oh, okay, so this is something that maybe we can talk about. 11-year-old fights off a sex predator in Florida. And apparently this 11-year, I don't know if you, either of you heard about this. I think I saw something flash on, on on like social media real quickly about it. Yeah, apparently this, uh, I guess, sex predator had been targeting this 11-year-old and had been following her as she, uh, as her mother drops her off to the bus stop. And the guy gets out, tries to grab at her. She fights the guy off. The guy runs back to his car. And the girl credits watching Law & Order SVU as, uh, I guess, motivation for her fighting, fighting it off. So... It's wow. a good story, but uh, it's, you know, it's creepy people are out there. It's just, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, the only other thing that I had as far as news is concerned that happened this week um, in Texas, uh, yet they passed yet another abortion law, abortion uh, banning, uh, no, abortion banning law yeah. uh, for women uh, six weeks and over. Um, you know, they're not allowed to have it, an abortion, which I think is absolutely horrible. There's a group called Jane's Due Process, and they are actually helping uh, ladies and girls uh, legally so that they can uh, successfully get an abortion. Um, I just think it's really, really uh, toxic. One thing it's I want to- we're, we're in this period where they're just, and hopefully it's the last gasp of this sort of right wing, you know, extremist side of the Republican party that they're just saying, wow, well, we're in party. We better try and do everything that we, you know, that we can one to hold on to power, but also all our little pet projects, the things that people vote for. Mm -hmm. People show up to vote when abortion is on the ballot. So those issues, they're making sure they jump on that before, because there's there's talk that they may lose 2022. 
they you mean the Republicans? The Republicans, you know, if they can't come up with something to offer voters right now, all they're doing is coming up with all the scare issues. Yeah, the hot, sure they keep that fresh. Yeah, the hot if they don't have something positive. Yeah. I don't know that they're going to gain much. Yeah, in 2022. Carolina, here's a question for you. You know, as a woman, do you feel because we have, you know, uh, when Amy Comey Barrett, Amy Comey Barrett took over for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that shook a shockwave, you know, throughout, you know, I, I'm sure throughout most of women in America, because Roe v. Wade is, is, you know, the Supreme Court is going to vote on that. Do you worry about that? Maybe not for yourself, but just, you know, as a woman, do you feel that your rights maybe is in jeopardy of being taken away? Yeah, well, I think that I think there's definitely that in jeopardy. I think I've always landed on the side of um, like Norm, like you're saying, these are hot topics. People get really enraged about them. There's like either you're on this side, or you're that side, you're this, you know. But what I really like to talk about is education and support. You know, people want to say, don't do this, don't do that. But yet, where is the support for families? You know, when you have a child, is there a community coming together to help you in healthcare, to help you raise that child with great education? And that's where I think it gets very funny. You know, people want to say you you should you should not do this or you shouldn't do this or control your bodies in this way. And yet, where is the support? You know, yeah. are they stepping forward to say, hey, let's improve health care, uh, social services, education so that your children, the ones we want you to have, have the support. And that's where I'm like, I don't buy it, you know. And so I think that there is a danger to being just an issues and people voting on hot topics and not focusing on the ramifications of the full community. How are people cared for? How are people serve? You know, how do we serve each other? And that's what's missing in this conversation, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I totally agree. Uh, you know, the irony of the Republican Party, I, you know, I'm sure that they are good and moderate Republicans, but a lot of the Republicans are, you know, they care about life until you have life. And then afterwards, like, you know, like defunding public school systems and, you know, taking away the welfare and the public benefits that, you know, a lot of young mothers need. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, that's it's it's the mother of all ironies or, or hypocrisies for me. Yeah. See, I could care. I don't really care if, if you you're a person who says that shouldn't happen for a moral, spiritual, religious reason. But when you start to infringe on other people's abilities to make their own choices, as well as like if you really want people to change their mind or live differently than 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 you what they think, then you should be investing in whole communities, not just one topic, not just one issue. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. and that's the danger of this. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And well, well said and well, well spoken. So we'll see. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm reminded when these issues happen, the privilege that I have as a man, I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of black men who don't have a lot of privilege. Matter of fact, there's, this week, I didn't mention it because we mentioned it all the time. But yet another, there have been a couple of black men who were killed or, we, you know, video. Has there was that released. one videotape from two years ago. Exactly. Wow. They claim the guy died in an accident, in an auto accident. They claimed he died. But now all the videotape shows that they beat him to death yeah um, right exactly and of course it, it took activism to get those videos to be released but i'm still privileged as a man because i don't have to worry about things like abortion or planned parenthood you know being taken away or the fact that you know if you're a 16 17 year old woman in california you're more freer than you are in alabama because in alabama there might not be a public uh, uh planned parenthood 
Yeah. As there are right. as there is in California. So in any case, yeah. So that's the current events. There were well, two. Uh, one other thing on that though. The so the reason people one of the reasons people are paying attention to Bill and Melinda mm. is because the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is huge. So what's going to happen to that? You know, yeah. that's one of the big questions is when they split, are they going to split that up? I bet they will. Um, and that means who's going to be giving away money? Because, you know, yay for Bezos, ex, who was like immediately, hey, I'm giving away money. Here you go. Yeah. So we'll see. And it sounds like Melinda still has a uh, an activist or philanthropist uh, vibe in her. I don't know if it was more Bill or Melinda, but it sounds like it's more Melinda. So we'll see. Um, there are two other, before we jump into an origin story, we have a couple of Bay Area folks who are doing really, really well. Tamika White, uh, we both know her. Uh, she is in Utah. She's actually, I saw a post, uh, she is acting with the Salt Lake Acting Company doing her debut. I'm so glad that Tamika's doing well. Uh, this wow. is a, a little thing on her. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm glad that uh, Tamika, you know, we try to uplift uh, artists who began in the Bay Area, but, you know, are doing other things. Also, Terrence Smith, uh, he oh. uh, was in a movie Central Command and Central nice. Command is uh, is doing great things. I think they're up for a a Cannes Film Festival uh, award. So yeah. Bay Area actors, you know, if you if, if for those who are listening, for those young actors who are like, hey, you know, can I really really make it out of the Bay and do great things? Yes, you can. You totally can. Um, online, so uh, Sylvia and Amorino Gonzalez says it's just a word of caution as a theater and a music. As theater and music groups are being beginning to reopen after COVID closures, I'm seeing lots of audiences, audition calls and job offers, but still talk with them being paid by stipend or honorarium. Oh, yes. What about AB5 folks? Yeah. Is anyone going to be following that? Be careful. The bill came out just as we were closing down, so it was not fully understood by everyone, but it has not gone away. I don't like it, but we'll follow it because it is the law for now. And from what I can see behind the scenes, sadly, it is not going away. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's not. It's not going away. Yeah. Uh, and that was, see, this is the whole diversity, equity, inclusivity conversation that's been going on. The, the sort of other side effect is the word I'm looking for. The side effect is that is everybody is going to be lifted up by us saying, wow, there's some bad things that were just a part of the way the system used to work. And now we're going to say that's not okay. I personally hate AB5, but I love it's, that it's going to make people producing stuff stop and think, what am I doing? And, and is it legal? Yeah. yeah. And I remember the conversation that we had before COVID-19 about AB5, because I think it was Sylvia Creightons who came on the A to talk about this. You have to make a distinction between the groups that have a lot of money, but are not you know, paying employees or actors what they should. And the little, you know, startup groups, I mean, they're companies that just start up just to do one production and then they're gone and they don't have a lot of money and they should not be penalized. I think there needs to be a distinction between those. Well, I, yeah, that's why I don't like AB5 because I feel like AB5 lumped everybody together. And then the folks that we were actually after Uber. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, those yeah. folks got, they're off, they got off the hook. So we independent contractors are struggling. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Carolina, do you feel as an artist, um, are you compensated? Do you find that companies compensate you properly or do you have to get into a, a difficult discussion as to how much you're worth? 
Yeah, I think I I often have a difficult discussion, especially with myself, in terms of how much I'm, you know, how much I'm valued in these systems. Um, I do think that is a good result, like Norm was saying, uh, with this law that some of the smaller companies have had to start to reorganize the way they do the stipends. I think the way they're going around it is if if they're considered a hobbyist or like there's like a kind of it's not a full production. I'm not exactly sure, but there's still some that do it that way. I think after this law, I've seen much more increases in like and transparency and like hourly fee. Like we are gonna work with you for this amount of hours, and this is how much it is per hour. Versus, I'm just gonna throw you know fifty, hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred dollars towards you. I think the other thing illuminates is that producers often get a budget and they're told all right, see what you could get with these actors. You know, you have to pay these actors more and these actors can will take less. Go ahead and work it out. And it's not it's not any kind of formula. It's just like, I know Norm is going to take $500. Carolina is going to go uh, okay to $300 or not challenge me on $300. So now you have people getting paid all different types of oh. uh, stipends that yep. doesn't make sense at all. It's just based on who is going to fight for it more, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. it's very frustrating because being someone who went to university, then have a master's degree and is in debt for that for theater and then mm -hmm. being undervalued, sometimes I'm paid appropriately. Sometimes I'm not. It's really challenging when you have that kind of weight on you, you know what I mean? And so, um, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for sure. Um, and I've gotten to the point where I've started to kind of say, okay, what, what is it that I can do? What is it that I, who are the people I want to work with? I might take less for that because I really want that experience or, all right, I'm going to step away from that and really prioritize my time. So unfortunately, that's how I have to go about it. Yeah, you know, and I know from you, Norman, just as, as we were, as, as we've always talked, usually before you even go into an audition, you'll check the budget, you'll check to see, well, I mean, if, if it's equity, they're going to call you. But uh, you'll see, you know, what their budget is. Like, I remember there was a production that you were, you were debating whether you would take the role, and you were gauging what their budget was and what the roles were for that particular budget. But you, you equate that. You're not just an actor who's like, oh, I want to be, I want to be cast. And well, you'll no, I think very about the much money am. I am that, but a lot of a lot of organizations that try to have conversations with me go, "Oh, wait, your equity." Uh, okay, hold on, <laughs> and then they come back at you, and you know, and I really, you know, I I would happily I will put this out there publicly. I would happy work happily work with Anton's Well, Robert Estes for next to nothing. <laughs> I love that company. I love their work. I also know that he doesn't. He has very little money. And in order for us to find a project together, I've got to work with him. I'm happy to do that. Where I take issue is that company that is pumping out shows on a shoestring budget, but somehow they've got the money to pay for this and pay for that and pay for everything else, but they don't want to pay the talent or they don't want to pay as much. Yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I am not available for that. I'm, I can stay home. I, I don't... I just saw last night uh, Fat Ham. Where's that, um, where's that being played at? What's that? No, I was asking, where's that being played at? Um, it's uh, it's streaming on demand, and it's actually only, I think, through this weekend, technically, and then it's gone, because it was a production that they put together. <laughs> and it is it is twisted. It is hard to describe. Hamlet, Black Hamlet at a barbecue. 
<laughs> okay. Um, it is, it is, it's amazing. And what I love about it more than anything is it's exactly what I want to see from local theater. Don't just do another tired production of Hamlet. Actually do something with it. Think about now. Think about the people you're working with. Don't go to the trouble to uh, cast a diverse cast and not expect that the audience is going to wonder why that black dude is with that Asian chick. You know, if you want to just put it in their face and go, oh, this is the way it is, that's fine. But do you have an opportunity to say maybe that's part of the friction of the play? Because there is, like we talked a lot afterwards about Ophelia. There's a lot of friction in that play and Shakespeare doesn't help you out. Ophelia is the little girl who might be in love with Hamlet and then is not understanding what's going on with him and then is driven crazy and then dies. You don't really, how do you fill that story out? The way you do it is by saying, ooh, well, I'm casting these people one of the ways to approach it is I'm casting these people. I'm going to tell this story here. This is how we're going to do it. So I don't want to see a production of Fat Ham here. They did it. It's there. You can actually find it on film. Do something else. Do something here with that kind of energy. And I love companies that are thinking that way. But, you know, but at the end of the day, if you've got a budget, you've got to pay your talent. You have to. Yeah, exactly. That, that it is. Uh, let's get into an origin story. Carolina, um, how were you, where were you born and raised and how did you get involved in theater? Well, I was born in San Francisco. Right on. Yay. <laughs> and I was raised in Oakland. So I'm a town. I'm from the town. I'm from here. Um, and uh, it's, it's really fun. My mom is from Nicaragua and um, immigrated in I think 1960 to San Francisco. So they, they were longtime San Franciscans. And then when I came along, moved to Oakland um, because you know, the Bay Area has gone through its cycles of, of price rentals going up in San Francisco and then folks moving to Oakland and you know, all of that stuff. And as we continue gentrification now, um, but yeah, that's basically, I'm from here. I grew up here in Oakland. I started in theater here. I remember there was a small theater company. My mom would take us. It was on Fairfax and I want to say 55th and Fairfax, somewhere over there by um, off of not too far from High Street called Egypt. And it was a, a small black community theater company there. And when I was like in second, third grade, that was my first oh, you, experience with I just drove by there. Yes. Yeah. I'm a part of Egypt. Yes, I went to their their closing when they were having to get everything out of there. Yeah, yeah. And so when I was a kid, that was one of the first theater experiences I had. And then wow. moving into the in, in high school, into the Oakland Ensemble Theater, when we had the Equity Theater Company um, out of the Alice Art Center. And that was another really amazing experience. So those were kind of my two foundational theater experiences were like deeply rooted in Oakland um, in these two amazing black theater companies that were like, come, you know, do theater with us and like and not, not pushing folks away, but like bringing people in. And I'm sorry, say again, what was the second one? The Oakland Ensemble Theater. Oh yeah. Yes. Wow. It, it's so really cool. again, that would have been right before they disappeared. Exactly, wow. it was, it was. <laughs> I, think I, I think it was like, I started with them in 98, I think uh -huh. it was. And uh -huh. I think they probably closed more like around 2003 or 2004, around yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm not even sure it was that far because I, oh, I also yeah. worked with them around then. Okay, we might have crossed paths. 
you might as well. Kind of did. No, it was, yeah. it was, it was, those are crazy times. They, yeah. they could barely keep the office. They had an office for free. They had office space yeah. for free, but they could barely keep the phone on and keep the office staffed. I was, it was a trip. Yeah, I was like a high school student <laughs> helping them keep it open. <laughs> oh, goodness. And that was, during the, that was during the time of the Enron crisis. So I'm sure they had a hard time keeping the electricity on, too. Um, but it's cool that your parents actually went to uh, your parents were theater goers and not just like, you know, the, you know, the expensive theater, but like local theater. They supported local theater, it sounds like. Yeah, well, my, I think more my mom, my dad, my dad wasn't into it like that, you know. He was more like, let's go to the horse track, you know, over there off of Emeryville and and let's go, you know, watch a, a rodeo. That was more what he was into, you know. Um, and um, while my mom growing up in the Mission District in San Francisco, they always did folkloric dance. They did Nicaraguan, like, you know, uh, indigenous dancing and she grew up doing that you know singing in choirs and dancing and so she wanted that same exposure for us and so she, when she saw that there was a theater company only like three blocks away from where we were living at that time she was like yep let's put you in there and we got to you know do little shows and dancing and all kinds of stuff that was a lot of fun Wow, mm. that's really, really cool. And it sounds like your sister. Do you have other, other siblings other than your sister? Yeah, the, I'm one of five, actually. <laughs> so my sister Regina and I, um, we, we both really gravitated towards theater and dance. And my sister Vanessa actually is uh, studied photojournalism and continues taking photo, photos today, but now works, uh, talking about close to norm at the Native American Health Clinic. So she's she works there oh, nice. uh, at Native Health, yeah. Um, and my sister Leslie is in the East Coast, actually in New Jersey, and she was, she was studying finance and she's over there working, you know, American Express on Wall Street type of a thing. So, but she was a poet coming up. So we were all in the arts, but she decided to go and, and pursue that financial kind of career. Um, and I have a brother who just shut down. Um, well, he's selling it. It's the Oakland Fight Camp on Park Boulevard. He has a oh. boxing. He he was he's into boxing and martial arts. Grew up that way, and had his own boxing gym uh, over the last three four years. COVID hit. It was just really hard. So now he's moving to Texas. He's decided to move his family down there and sell the Oakland Fight Camp. Wow! Wow! wow. What a diverse family. Texas. Why Texas? Uh, the land is cheap, I think. <laughs> you know, a lot of folks, I mean, you know, that's where Craig Dickerson is, and that's where uh, uh, Travis Bedard and uh, Bob Zick, we had them on. At, well, actually, Travis, he went to Texas. So Texas is recruiting. I'll never do it. You know, you have to put a gun to my head to go to Texas uh, only because of the politics. And, well, yeah. I, was, I was born there, but, you know, I have no memory of it. But, no, it, it is happening, and we've talked about the migration. Everyone is sort of leaving California. A lot of folks are leaving California. Yeah, mm. it's just really expensive. And, like, I do worry about his family because his wife is Chinese, and he's Nicaraguan Mexican like myself. And so their children, they have two children, are mixed, you know, in a time where it's really harsh on both Latinx community in, in the, you know, Texas border areas and Chinese folks. <laughs> so uh, I pray for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when did you realize that this was going to be your thing? This was going to be not just a passing fancy, but theater was something is a part of you? Yeah, I think it was working with OET um, that I, I got like, they say the theater bug, you know, when I was a kid, it wasn't as big of a deal. But when I got older, um, it, it just really felt like the first time I could express what was going on inside. And, you know, 
growing up where I did in East Oakland, sometimes we were witnessing, experiencing a lot of harsh realities and it didn't feel like I could express what I was really feeling, you know, or, or thinking or, or to be, um, to be validated as a human being that had a full story. And I felt like theater, the way we did it then, um, was that opportunity for me to write, for me to get on stage, for that kind of validation. Um, and so when I went to college, actually working with Aldo Billingsley, Billingsley, because he came over to OET and was like a board member. So this is really funny because this is so deep Oakland, theater Bay Area stuff, but Aldo mm. was working at Santa Clara University and had just uh, started working there, I think from the uh, from Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And so he was kind of, he was one of the ones that recruited me to go to Santa Clara and that really cemented it for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Santa Clara, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and I got to work with him and he was just such an inspiration, um, which is funny enough, because years later after grad school, I ended up working for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for about seven seasons. And I got to work with him a few times as well. So it was really cool. It's like everything goes full circle. Very, very nice. I see also, you did you spend some time in Detroit? I see former actor I Shakespeare did. in Detroit. I did, I did. So that was another Oregon Shakespeare Festival connection. There was uh, the artistic director, Sam White, wonderful, wonderful person, um, has the theater company Shakespeare in Detroit. She was doing a fellowship in, at, in Oregon when I was still working there. Um, around 2018, I decided to move back to the Bay Area. I, I was just missing my family. I had been in Ohio for three years. And then I was in Oregon for six, seven years. So it'd been almost 10 years that I was away from the Bay Area. And um, uh, coming back to the Bay, Sam was um, doing Much Ado Para Nada. So they were doing a bilingual version of Much Ado for nothing, you know, about nothing. And um, so I went ahead and auditioned and then I got to fly out there and work with them. Wow, really, really, really cool. And yeah, if you came back in 2018, that means when we were on stage for Women on the Verge, you had really, I mean, it had barely been a year since you had been back right. to the Bay. Wow. Yeah, I kind of hit the ground running. I just was like, all right, uh, Don Monique Williams was another person I met at OSF and I saw she was directing the show and I was like, I want to be in a show you direct, so let's do it, you know? Right. Um, and I auditioned for that. Yeah, and um, I also got, to, speaking of Tamika, I got to be in She Persisted uh, at Bay Area Children's Theater with her probably the same year. That same year I did uh, Detroit, Vera Children's Theater and Town Hall. Wow, really, yeah. really, really cool. When you were uh, studying, um, I'm always interested in technique and uh, like, did you learn Stanislavski or, or in Meisner or any of those things or, or not really? Well, actually, well, I feel like Stanislavski is the is the core, right, of a lot of American theater techniques. So definitely was introduced to that and worked in that. Um, but actually, I started to work in the Michael Chekhov acting technique. And it's it's what I specialize in, actually. And um, so, um, so speaking of ACT, this summer, August 8th, I'll be teaching a master class in the Michael Chekhov acting technique, an intro yes. master class. Um, it's like a three hour, one day course um, <clears throat> amongst the other courses I teach for them. Uh, so the Michael Chekhov technique is one that I really um, connect with and it's very movement based. Um, and I think that because I'm a mover, and I really could connect deeply to that to that acting technique. Can you give us a little preview? I mean, it, you know, like, I don't know, a teaching preview of the Michael Chekhov. Obviously we've heard of uh, Anton Pavlovich Chekhov, but I've never heard of this Chekhov acting technique. What's it all about? Oh, yeah. American, this is American. 
<laughs> well, he he worked with with Stanislavski actually at Moscow Art Theater, and um, and then he moved to the United States uh, and started to work in Hollywood with a lot of stars like Marlon Brando and like all, a lot of people. Um, so yeah, now it feels very American in in mm -hmm. how it's done. I would say that it's whew, it's always hard to describe these things in just a quick way. But I, a lot of people know it through its psychological gestures, basically thinking about form. The form you create on stage will also connect you to the emotional, physical, living reality of a character. So it's about connecting with what the actions are that the character is expressing and putting physical form to that. Um, there's a lot to it, but there's there's a lot of I feel like that's one of the basic things that people think about, which is the psychological gesture. Um, and it connects uh, to kind of archetypal ways of moving through the world and taking action and pursuing what you want. Uh, if we talk about it in terms of a script, right? The character's pursuing what they want. They're, they're gonna pick an action. And the, it goes as deep as also looking at the quality of action that they, they take um, to make that. What kind of, where do they move from? Are they a, a person that moves from their head center, from their feeling center, from their will center, which is lower down? Mm -hmm. um, thinking about atmosphere, thinking about how to exist within these characters with lightness and ease. Um, and you do a lot of rep of, of, of kind of like Meisner where you repeat things many times in your body through these forms uh, so that it becomes part of your your physical movement. And then you just stop, like you all were saying, you, you didn't just, just like let it go because it's in you, you know what I mean? Right. And and then you're able to just express and allow the energy, the radi we call it radiating out to create what, what oftentimes people think as only some people got it, that thing, that charisma, what we really help people figure out how to radiate energy out into the space and become a fully embodied, in integrated uh, character that is needed for that moment. So it's really working with the energy within oneself is how I see it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I had two thoughts. I, I remember working on, uh, well, the poster's there, but the camera's not pointed to it, but Fear and Misery in the Third Reich. And I worked with Susan Evans, a director, mm -hmm. uh, and I was part of East End's repertory company. And she used sort of a, I guess, the movement, like we, we had an exercise where we did repetitive movement. And, you know, as actors, we may not have understood what the movement was. We had to create the movement, like, let's say, a hand gesture and incorporate the lines and incorporate a character based on this, this repetitive movement. So it reminds me of that. But also um, the energy. You're absolutely right. You know, some people have a very kinetic energy and they can feed that into the character. And some people just really don't. I'm sure you've seen that, Norman, as a director, where... <laughs> There are different actors, especially students that you've worked with. Some are, you know, ha everyone has their own different energy. And I guess the, the, the objective is to... Somebody described it as different intelligences once. And I wish I could remember what the whole list was, but the kinetic learner is, is huge. And Mara actually had a student recently who on Zoom is usually kind of checked out. And then they came back to school and we do Tai Chi. So one day, just to kind of get the kids grounded because they're outdoors they're out in the parking lot she's trying to run a class so she just wanted to get them to quiet down and get grounded and this one little girl was able to follow her through the beginning of the tai chi form she's like oh my god she's always checked out when she's on zoom but bam and yeah. so since then she's been using that knowledge that 
if I tell, they were doing it because they also do a math study group and the girl wasn't getting the problem. She said, if I told you you're going to take eight steps back, eight steps that way and then five steps back, could you do that? And could you repeat that pattern? And she's like, oh yeah. So where would you be numerically if you did that four times? And the girl was able to just figure it out because that's in her body. She can do that. Totally. Yeah, when you recognize wherever an actor's strengths are, of course you want to lean into that. Yeah, and sometimes ahead. in our society, we are so thought heavy, we're so analytical. And so sometimes these like Tai Chi, I also am currently studying neuro neuroplasticity, which okay. is like how our brain works. It's really interesting because it connects so deeply to acting, the, the acting exercises, warm ups, they actually hit different nervous parts of our nervous system. And it makes sense when you look at it that way. Um, but oftentimes in our in our culture, everything's eyes and, and thinking and how I can make this happen versus how I move with my body, how I connect to people. And I think that example, Norm, is right on. Like, I love that Tai Chi. I feel like Michael Chekhov also has the form and the movements that kind of you start to practice them and you harness something within you that is focused, concentrated, in ease and not strained, which sometimes happens in on stage with folks. You know, we start to right. strain and push. Um, it also gives you good direction on like, oh, I know what could come next because you're supposed to let it go and allow what is behind it to, to flow, you know? It's yeah. funny, the, yeah, um, oh, just the, um, don't know where I was going with that now. <laughs> Um, go ahead, Rich. No, I'm sorry about that. And I was just going to say, uh, you should let us know the details of this class because it oh, sounds yes. like you can still sign up for, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and it's not it's not that expensive i think it's like i don't know 80 90 dollars you notice it's like not it's not like hundreds of dollars like some yeah. things out there it's it's under a hundred dollars so yeah yeah we'll, we'll definitely push it um because i remember what it was go for I, it go for I, it I say <laughs> we keep stumbling um oh the um my kids recently asked um so how do you do like uh, one of the kids was like like, how do you cry on stage? And I'm like, you know, the thing I hate the most, when you said stress, that's what made me think about it. People start stressing about what they're doing. That's what the audience sees is you stressing. And I said, so here, let me give you a simple exercise to do this so you can just feel it. And if you feel it, then you don't have to think about it at all. It'll just happen. And it's not about crying or not crying. It's about what is that character actually experiencing? What are they feeling? Yeah. Connect to that. Yep. And some people don't cry like some it, you could have all of it behind it and you have the audience crying, but a tear might not fall out of the actor's face. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, you know, well, that's so the trick I gave him for that is I said, just start saying to yourself out loud, start saying to yourself, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And I said, just make it a mantra. Keep hearing it. Don't just make it empty, but keep hearing it. Keep saying it and see what happens. And mm -hmm. you know, inevitably, whenever I do that exercise with the group, there's a couple of people who are finding themselves in tears. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And I the audience will be more engaged if you're committed to that than if you sit there and force out a tear. Yeah, yeah I remember doing uh, at, at, uh, at Civil War Christmas uh, at the town hall. And uh, the very, there's a very last scene where I'm supposed to kill a soldier and I don't want to do it. The soldier's a young child. As Matthew and Morgan Pavey played the child. Um, and I had to cry or, well, actually it's not in the script, but I, I think I just felt that the character uh, needed that. And um, it's not so much, okay, you're gonna cry here, but it's an action. Let's say um, 
Well, you had the, there's that wonderful story that you always uh, tell Norman, and I love repeating it. The, you know, the actress that has to find a jewel uh, on the oh, stage. That's, well, that's Stanislavski. I mean, that's straight up Stanislavski. Right, exactly. And it's about the action. It's about the action. It's not playing an emotion, but playing an action and an objective. And whether you achieve the objective or not, an emotion will come out if you're invested in the action, whatever the objective is whether it's finding something or pulling the trigger or not pulling the trigger, you know, you're told to do something, but you really don't want to do it. And there's the conflict that happens organically as a result of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so when you, uh, here, do you miss, there, are there parts of Detroit that you miss, uh, Carolina? Um, I, I was in Detroit for about, I think, maybe a month two months oh it so wasn't was that long pretty, okay no it was or i was in oregon for longer but the what i love about detroit it was really a, a great community to step in and i do want to go back and i do want to learn more it was a lot of fun um it felt strange because of the amount of houses that were missing you know because of this oh, really yeah there's like there's a lot of houses that are systematically burned down because they're abandoned um, and I and and there's been a, a whole thing that I can't describe it well, but there's been a whole thing that's happened um, with the changing of where people live and like there was this whole uh, they call it in the 60s I think white flight where all the folks went to white people went to the suburbs, and then now they're having kind of a reverse situation where the city center is starting to be gentrified and the folks living in Detroit city proper um, have been over time. I think since the 2008, like bank situation, losing the subprime loan crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, in a city, there was a lot of patches of areas where there used to be houses, but there was whole blocks with just trees now or houses where a tree was growing out of it and it was in ruins around it. So it's a really interesting environment to be in and also to see what is community doing to come together and save their neighborhoods. Um, so yeah, that, that was my experience there. And we got to perform in a community area as well as in a downtown area. And it was, it was a very cool experience. Yeah, and I, you know, we always hear about the Detroit and the the car industry. You know, when that left, I think in the seventies, that's when sort of the city of Detroit. You know, it's been a very very hard time them recuperating from that. And of course, if there are no jobs, there's not gonna, gonna not going to be any people. So yeah, and they were losing more and more of it still. You know, yeah, yeah. You're also the booking manager at Piano Fight. Uh, how uh, you know how's working at Piano Fight? Well, I love working with Piano Fight. They, um, it was the flight deck before. So I started when it was the flight deck. Right. Um, and <clears throat> so I had just started there probably August of 2019. And I knew that they were thinking about re releasing their lease or, or thinking about moving on um, probably in the next year. So it was a complete surprise and awesome to get to know the Piano Fight crew once they decided to take up the lease at 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 the of the flight deck and right. make it piano fight Oakland, but it's also been, it was also very strange because then we hit COVID right away. Um, right. So it was just I've been wondering if that there. if that has worked out or not because that's been weird. 
Yeah, they st they're still there. They're still holding on. Um, of course, they have Piano Fight San Francisco, and there are some few rentals happening in Oakland, so it is available. And actually, I'm transitioning out at the end of this month Hi. because I'll be working with SF Shakes in Pericles as an actor. Oh, oh yeah, what are you doing? Yes, I'm playing a few different roles. I'm playing Thaliard. Everybody is, right? Yeah, <laughs> playing and like Corrida. And um, I'm also the the director of the pre-show. So I'm actually directing slash performing. And so we start rehearsals in two weeks, June through September, um, as the run is. It's really interesting. It's going to be three virtual episodes, kind of like episodic TV show. And so mm -hmm. those will be um, different parts of the, instead of playing the whole the whole play it will be sections of the play so there's episode one which is the beginning two three and episode four which is the conclusion with marina uh, will be a little longer than the the 30 minute episodes uh of one two three and the last episode will be outdoors live in person at different parks the way sf shakes traditionally does it but it's later on in the fall hopefully when more things are figured out Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Uh, you know, I didn't even realize that Piano Fight was moving to Oakland. Uh, I am not moving, right? Well, they're, I mean, they're they're, they're expanding. Things. They're they're expanding. Yeah, exactly. Expa yeah, it's an expansion, um, and yeah, I think that they're really um, they're really still you know in it and. Um, things are starting to open back up and folks are starting to call up and book events and there's you know, limited audiences, of course, but both spaces, I think, are are in existence, surviving, thriving. And I think the, the guys there are, are excited to continue on after as, as everything re reopens. Yeah, I mean, their business model has done so much better than a lot of other uh, theater companies, because usually we hear as uh, gentrification has gone on, and especially COVID-19, theaters have crashed and gone down. But Piano Fight has gone way up, you know, just combining drinking and chilling out. And, you know, I guess after you get off of work, you can, you know, enjoy theater right yeah. here in the middle, in the heart of the city, especially in San Francisco and now in Oakland. So Piano Fight, they're growing. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful home for comedians and for musicians that don't need the fanciness of a larger theater that want to have more of a community restaurant drink feel about it. And so it's exciting. Yeah. You know, um, one subject that I want to talk to you about, we've had a bunch of women on. They've talked about their experiences, either dealing with sexual harassment or just unpleasantness that may happen. Um, have you had any experiences like that at all, like during rehearsals or, you know, being um, objectified as a woman? I don't know, as a as a dancer or uh, as a director? Um, I, I, That's a good question. Um, I think you know, it's a challenging question too. I think that, you know, for me, um, I had my own challenges at, you know, growing up already. So by the time I got to theater, you know, as a survivor from a younger age, that wasn't something that uh, was gonna hang with me. Like, <laughs> wasn't yeah. gonna be cool. I'm also from East Oakland. So like I had already experienced a lot of things in life that most people hadn't seen or experienced. Um, so I think by the time I got to theater, I mean, uh, someone would be hard pressed to mess with me in any kind of way. Cause uh, I'm from East Oakland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but um, I, I think that the things that were harder uh, to deal with it is um 
is when you see how how objectified our bodies can be, you know, sizeism. I've always been a thicker woman, more curvaceous, you know, what what people consider you for, what they don't consider for you for. That starts to play in your brain, in your mind, you know. Um you know, what directors say to you about your race or skin color. I think those are the things that started to be internalized by my accent because I have a, a Oakland regionalism and like what they perceive that to be. What kind, you know, I had a, di a director, a professor, you know, one time say to me like, oh yeah, the only companies you're going to probably work for are ethnic specific theater companies. Well, you know, at that time that was really heartbreaking, you know, because I was like, I want to work for everybody. Right, and right. it wasn't true. You know, coming out of the master's program, I ended up working for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for six seasons, you know, six, seven seasons. Uh -huh. And it just wasn't true. And they were like, why aren't more people of color coming to us? Why aren't? And I was like, because you have gatekeepers at the university telling you they don't you're not wanted. Right. You know? Yeah, that, that is an excellent point. And, you know, there were two things I had thought. We had Elizabeth Curtis on and Jessica Coker, also women of size, and they've talked about the exact same thing, you know, the sizes that happens in theater at a place that you would think if there's any any um, workplace that would be inclusive of people who are of different, you know, varieties, it would be theater. And yeah, yet, you know, you have this, uh, yeah, yeah, you would think. But also, you know, just as you were talking about just the, the um, like dialects and things like that, one of the problems that I have with, let's say, Shakespeare or traditional Shakespeare or traditional, I guess, legit theater is that everyone sort of sounds the same. Uh, it feels wonderful when you go into a theater and you hear different dialects. And it's like different, it's almost like music, you know, yeah. like someone has a Latino accent, someone has, let's say an Asian accent, Japanese or Filipino or whatever, or uh, someone has a Southern accent. And uh, it's, you know, theaters have to understand. Oh, who's that? Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But um, theaters should understand that it, it adds a flavor to it. I think uh, when we had Arena Mario on and she talked about seeing Hamilton for the first time and seeing people of different ethnicities um, approach, you know, um, colonial America. Um, but there are people from different ethnicities and how she felt, wow, I'm being represented. I see myself on stage. Yeah. And that's sure. sort of what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, for sure. And the, the dialect thing is really interesting in the sense of like, of course, it's important to learn how to, how to speak, understand the way you speak and how to, um, change that if needed for a role or for a different, you know, ge geographical setting. Um, what often happens, though, is people start to be pushed into erasing who they are versus connecting to the sounds. And, and so another class I, I'm going to be teaching is called bilingual. Well, it's a contemporary Latinx scene study class at ACT Sweet. and it's bilingual. And right I created on, right it to be on. Spanish and English. And one of the aspects I really like to work with students on is what are the first sounds you remember hearing as a child? Mm -hmm. Can you replicate those sounds? That's home. We don't erase home. That's where right. you move from, you know? Yeah, because you're talking me. about assimilation. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's you and what you what, what you could do with yourself, your body, your 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 whole self as a storyteller, that could be, you know, unlimited, right? You could take on a British accent. You could do you could do whatever you want to do. Don't lose home. 
you know, <laughs> don't mm -hmm. lose your essence because that's what you're talking about, uh, Reg, when you see everybody starting to sound look alike and, and, and people go, oh, I can't compete against this because this is the same type as me. Oh, I'm like, forget about that. Guess what? You are you. You come from the only place you come from. No one else comes from that. And if you keep that as your essence, as the foundation of who you are, no one can mess with you. Maybe there's someone that looks almost exactly like you are the same type or same uh racial background ethnic background whatever however they categorize because you know we're often categorized right um you could stand firmly on this is who i am this is i'm gonna walk in knowing who i am and i'm gonna rock it from that space and that's where i try to come from with with the way i teach and who i am yeah mm -hmm. no you, i think you hit the nail right on the head and norman as a director i mean i you know if usually you cast, you know, I don't, how many times do you have you directed, but you don't select your cast? I think usually all the time you select no, your cast, no. right? Oh, no, no. There's lots of times when I don't select my class and playground. I, I can have input, but I don't select the class. Um, a project I did, geez, at least 20 years ago, maybe longer. Um, the love missile with golden thread theater. They are going to do a, they're taking some of their other, their original stuff and um, putting it online. So they just made an announcement about that. And I was like, oh, okay, I gotta make sure I, I save the date. Um, and what's great is they're putting it online and they're paying us. So, I, you know, how often does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, but they're gonna present that. And I came into that, I was the last hire on that project. They'd had a director dropout. And it turns out it's because there were three writers. <laughs> Oh, so I kept having to work with these three writers on a new musical. <laughs> but no, I'd say most of the time I can have some input into the casting. A lot of times I, I get none and you deal with what you deal with. Yeah. Now, as a director, because I'd asked you to um, do you do you pay attention to, let's say, dialect or do you listen to, I guess, the uh, what I would call the flavor of, of dialect, uh, you know, when you're. If you if it's not casting, then just directing. I mean, uh, do you pay attention to that, or is it really just the yes. basics for? Yeah. No, I mean that's who the character. It's that same thing. Uh, and I've been told more than once by a director, "Oh, your character's not black," and I'm like, "Wow, the audience is going to have a hard time understanding that because this is what they're going to see." Yeah. When you put somebody on stage and they've got a dialect, they've got an accent, that's the character. And if you're a stupid director, you're going to ignore that as if the audience is. They're never going to ignore it. If you're a smart director, you're going to think about how does this affect what we're doing? And you can ask for some adjustments, but it's not adjustments asking the person to erase themselves. It's recognizing that's what they're bringing to the process. Yeah. You know, I used to beat myself up because I took all these um, um, speech classes, both in high school and also uh, in college. Um, not to eliminate, I don't know if I ever had an accent or whatever, but, you know, um, it, it's very difficult sometimes for me to get cast as a black, you know, uh, as a stereotypical black man mm -hmm. who, um, because I, you know, I don't know, maybe I sound too proper or something like that. And it's almost the opposite of, of what you're talking about, Carolina, but really you have to accept people for who they are and the language yeah. and the diversity and, you know, even the physicality of who they are. Yeah. Why cast someone and then beat them up after and beat them up after you've cast them? It's like, well, you cast me. So why are you banging on me for being yeah, who you, I am? You knew who I was walking through the door, right? I think that also it is just like when we talk about black, brown folks, we're, you know, oftentimes in this culture, this society, it's like, it, we're not a monolith. It's not all the same. 
right, everybody's right. experience is different coming from a different region sometimes uh, a different uh, uh, even perspectives on being right um political policy everything is just uh, you know and latinx you know there's so many different uh countries so it, it's not even it's not the same thing you can't be like oh i want you to be a chola you know the the thing is that you you set up the expectations as the actor walks in through the room you know you see what kind of like you said uh, you see what kind of play it is you hear what kind of actor you ask them you make the adjustments and then you decide if that person has the flavor you want that fits in with the essence of that character right or if they could go in that me as an actor i come in usually with two different types of styles like i could come in and i will clean it up you know my language my way of speaking i could clean it up and but my essence will always be there um or i could do something that has more of an accent that sounds more like where i come from uh has a little bit more dialect in it and and i have to as an actor adjust it to the what what play i'm looking at and what what they've asked from me, you know, and I think that what you're talking about too is like that horrible experience a lot of people have of, of being told you don't sound brown enough, you don't sound black enough, you don't sound this yeah. enough, you don't sound that enough. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a horrible feeling. It's very stereotypical. And, and like Norm, like you said, it's not working. It's not working with what you actually have. You're, you're putting on something on top of somebody and not actually expressing what the essence of the character is. You know what I mean? It's not helpful. It's just not, it's not getting anyone anywhere versus like, let's look at where this character is from. Here is some um, dialect or some coaching around like what I want, what we want, what is necessary for this character, them being, for example, an August Wilson play from this time period with this experience. And we want to work with you to get to this kind of sound, right? Versus like, you're not this enough. That's, it's just. Yeah, well, yeah. and it's, it, you're saying your audience is pretty stupid. <laughs> if you're not gonna acknowledge what you're putting in front of them. This is who you're putting in front of them. You better use it. Yeah. yeah. You can either you can either reinforce stereotypes or you can break stereotypes. And I would right. think theater should be about breaking stereotypes. You know, you can take a traditional story and throw something different. Like, you know, when you did um, the Willie Loman thing, uh, Death of a Salesman, you know, having the black neighbor, you know, that was a breaking of a stereotype and it added a different flavor. I'm talking Norman when you played yeah. the neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it totally changes the story, and yet it doesn't change the story. It changes the story for the audience. We're still working with the same text, and the relationships are informed, well, by who I am and who he is, but by the text, bringing what we can to the text. Yep, that's exactly right. And we're hitting on the one-hour mark. One last question for you, Carolina. Where do you see yourself five or 10 years from now? Are you happy in the Bay Area? Do you want to move on? Do you want to do film and theater? Do you want to do a YouTube thing? It sounds like you're doing a lot of teaching. So you may have some YouTube presentational, you know, vid videos or whatever. Yeah, I well, interesting enough, I didn't talk about this yet. But I'm actually part of a cultural cooperative that we're forming called Wakanda, kind of like Wakanda, but we call it Okanda. And um, <laughs> it's culture um, makers, uh, really, you know, 
rooted in, in Oakland, um, artists, makers, healers. And what we're working on right now is to create a, a cooperative that is a resilience hub, as we're called cultural resilience hub. And we're working towards real estate acquisition because we believe Damn, nice. Yes, it's not enough, you know, what's happening to our arts organizations, to the spaces we have, we're being pushed out, right? Like we're, we were talking about. So we also are looking to cooperatively own property so that we can uh do the things we want and love to do in our community and not be pushed out to be other places so i'm deeply in, rooted in that movement right now uh which requires me to be as a producer uh educator theater actor um i also would love to continue doing more theater shows and some film stuff of course and i just have to balance it with this um with the work i'm doing in community and advocacy for the arts yeah, you know, I just pulled up uh, woke. Well, I think it's Okanda. Uh, welcome to Oakland, Wokeland, Okanda, a territory of fierce countercultural progressive political movements and colorful streets, an unmissable part of the San Francisco Bay Area. The city is uh, worth a visit if you, like me, often find yourself in an Angela Davis inspired Afrocentric liberation kind of mood. I'll check this out and uh, we'll we'll post this. I think this is well, the same. I don't think that's the website, but oh yeah. shucks, okay. <laughs> that's why we had to, we had to switch up the way it was spelled because there's a lot of folks. There's there's a lot of similar things, and um, I'll send you the link. Yeah, thank you. Okay, well, someone else <laughs> had the idea, but uh, yeah. I love the, I love the concept. You know, it's sort of taking out. And Norman, you were talking about this as far as Oakland and reclaiming the community. You know, instead of. Um, you know, yelling about the community, add to the community and 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 strengthen it and be- Well, it's funny. So what I'm doing Monday is a, um, I'm on a panel for Playground. Um, gosh, and I will send you, I'll put all these links in the chat so you can get them. Mm -hmm. um, what are they calling it? Uh, Playground and the American Theater Part Two. It's an ongoing discussion. And for me, I always want to bring it back. Like I said about Fat Ham, brilliant idea somebody did it somewhere all they did was take hamlet take the talent base that they have and reconfigure it great do that um and that's that's bill that's my big thing is i think we can appreciate more the talent base that we have here not appreciate i think they get some appreciation utilize them see them as a positive thing that we can put out to an audience because if somebody came and saw the show two years ago and you say oh that actor's going to be in this show. The people who saw that show, I get people talking to me about shows that happened 20 years ago. I remember that show. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember it too. I was in it. But I think there's an appreciation of that in our audience base. And I don't know that enough of our theater takes advantage of that. So that's yeah. whenever I get asked to be in one of these conversations, that's where I'm always going is, how can we more appreciate who's here, who's part of the conversation? Yeah, and I think that the structure, you know, uh, the structure of, of white supremacy and how that works within the nonprofit structure has been very detrimental, like really destructive to the arts movements, you know? And um, I think that finding a new way, finding a new structure altogether is also important, you know, within talking about how we transform the structures that exist. Sometimes we also just have to reinvent, create and make a new thing <laughs> altogether too. And they, they both can exist. 
Yeah, it's it's enlightening because um, I think about Washington, D.C. You know, when I go back to D.C., it's totally different. It's not the neighborhood that I remember anymore because people have left and you have two choices. You can leave your community or you can stay in your community and try to work to 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 still make it your own home. And uh, it's it's comforting to know that, you know, you're you're rooted in Oakland. You know, you're an Oakland girl and uh, and you know, Oakland woman, and you're not going to um, be pushed away by gentrification or uh, how things change, you know, you're yeah. going to, you know, contribute to make it your own. Yeah, it's not easy, because it's, it's really a challenge. Um, and the pressures are, are present, you know, um, but we're, we're making a stand and an effort. Right on, right on. And with that, uh, let's do shout outs, birthdays. Birthdays. Um, not a big list this week. Hallelujah. <laughs> Um, and I'm going to skip some because I think you may have them. Roy Conboy, um, I believe he's retired now, but he was teaching at San Francisco State. Um, and he came in as I was going out as a playwright and a Latino playwright. So I was like, oh, how cool. Bye. I got to go. <laughs> but we've always kept in touch and sort of watched each other's careers over the years. Um, Manu Mukasa uh, was, and it took me forever to find out how we reconnected how we first connected. Um, it was through the Bay Area Playwrights Festival. We did Blackballing, which eventually Oakland Public Theater, my company, produced with him as the director. Um, so that was how I met him. And then he did a number of things. He was running the department at Laney before Michael um, Torres was there. Um, yeah, wonderful. And we did a bunch of Ethel Fugard pieces with another company, Second Wind. So I've loved him, loved working with him. Kenny Moscow, Ken, he goes by now, is somebody else from my college days. Um, and I, I loved him in college. He had a great, he was a wonderful actor, great sense of humor. And he looked a lot like a young, um, what's his name from Die Hard? Uh, Bruce Willis? Yeah, he looked like a young, he looked like a night, a moonlighting Bruce oh, Willis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the um, And, um, you know, I was like, dude, you got to go out now. You can get a career right now. Um, Nigel Berkeley is somebody on the opposite end of the spectrum, a young playwright that I've gotten to work with a couple of times now, did one of his readings maybe two months ago. Um, and uh, he's, to me, when I'm looking at young people and what they're creating, there are these people who take those simple forms like the fairy tale that we all know, and then reconfigure it in a very contemporary way that holds onto that innocence and that joy, that recognition that we have for the form but makes it relate more to where we are and who we are. And, and he does it in a really positive way. I'm like, dude, you, it's not like he's not dealing with adult themes, but he has this sort of hope. Anyway, this is a young playwright I'm hoping we will hear more from. And then the last one is actually somebody who's passed on, but his birthday is coming up this week. Steph, Stephen Stephen Randolph. Randolph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I loved him. And he's the guy who introduced me to karaoke. So I will love him forever for that. And my wife will never forgive him. Yeah, Stephen Randolph. I still remember uh, uh, we were at Nations on Second um, and Broadway, and that was yeah. the last time I saw him. Uh, and and he was still very, um, you know, just up, yeah, upbeat. Um, he, was, he, was, he, yeah. he just had a nice energy around him. But yeah. at the same time, the man worked with his hands. So he was staying in a house in San Francisco, and he actually, I didn't know you could do this, broke up the sidewalk. I didn't even know there was a tool for it, this big, heavy iron thing. You break up the sidewalk, you grade it, and then you pour concrete. I was like, damn, 
I didn't even know that was something you could do. <laughs> wow, man. Uh, who's anyway, that's on. Yeah, the late, great Stephen Randolph. Um, also, well, today, uh, I'm sure you left this for me, Jeffrey Lowe, his birthday yeah, is today. Uh, a creative uh, Filipino director, uh, director writer, writer. Too, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. Also today, Shay Troja, I remember working with her, uh, we did, oh shucks, uh, Debbie Does Dallas the Musical. And uh -huh. uh, that, as a matter of fact, the, the poster is uh, right there at the distance there. Any case, uh, her birthday is today. Also Brent, Ben Prince, uh, someone who has worked with um, Ray of Light Theater for a while. He's a musical director, brilliant pianist. Um, so his birthday is today. Um, let's see. Dan Weiss, I'm trying to remember where do I remember Dan Weiss from, but in any case, he and his birthday will be on May the 24th. Um, May the 26th, Diana Blanda, she and I worked on uh, the Texas Chainsaw Musical. She's a talented actress. Also May the 26th, Kehinde Kehoyo, who is a, uh, a native of Oakland, and uh, she has a little um, business in Oakland. Uh, she and I worked on Bat Boy, the musical. Uh, uh, brilliant actress. Do you I know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you also order up some of her cookies. She has the most amazing cookies, part of Calm Corner Collective, her company. And she makes these fabulous vegan chocolate chip, uh, pecan, a variety of different uh, nuts that can be uh, chosen from. They're delicious and amazing. Yeah, I've talked about her on the, my, the other podcast that I have, Black in the Bay, and I'm trying desperately to get her on because I know she's not part of the theater community anymore, but she was. So in any case, uh. Kehinde, her birthday is May the 26th. Um, Carmelo Trengali, uh, who I worked with, uh, we did uh, Candide, a brilliant singer, not much of an actor, but he's a brilliant singer, an operatic singer, and a uh, guitarist, a, matter of fact, a Spanish oh. guitarist. Brilliant, brilliant, very talented guy. His birthday is May the 27th. And um, on May the 28th, um, I've talked about him before, a mentor of mine, uh, Ernesto Mercer. Uh, he, when I went to Duke Ellison School of the Arts as a very thin 14-year-old kid, um, there was a, uh, a senior, an upperclassman who uh, everyone talked about. And uh, he sort of had me under his wing and uh, Ernest, uh, he, he was known as Ernest back then. But uh, he is sort of a griot, sort of an African storyteller. And uh, I celebrate him. His birthday is May the 28th. Is that it? Um, two more. Actually, three more. Uh, Werner Von Goff, uh, another uh, Filipino ex-Bindle Stiffer. I don't think he's ex-Bindle Stiffer. I think he's still with Bindle Stiff uh, Theater yeah, Company. I hope. He's a builder. Uh, so he's not only an actor and a director, but he also is sort of the, uh, the master technician there. Uh, his birthday is May the 28th, also May the 28th. Adiola Roll, a gifted Black actress and model. Uh, we worked together on, I think it was the very last EastEnders thing I did on stage, which was Pride Open. Uh, cool. And the last person is Soyla Hughes, who also worked on Bat Boy. Uh, she's a brilliant Latina, Latina uh, actress and singer. And that is it. Those are the stories that, those are the, um, the, um, birthdays that I have shows. We're going to have to get you set up again so that all your posters are like right behind you because you're always <laughs> saying, there's this poster, there's that poster. Oh yeah, I didn't want it junked up. I think uh, the last setup I had, it was a little, little messy, but any case. Oh, I liked that wall. It was like <laughs> a wall of honor. Yeah, Caroline, exactly. any shout outs you want to give? Um, no, I don't think I have any shout outs. I, I appreciate all the ones you have mentioned just now. Yeah. What about shows? Uh, I know we're going to talk about I Playground. Got, I, I just put a big list in the uh, comments so you can save that, Ridge, and you'll have mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I did the fat ham thing just because it's it's an amazing thing. And so it's it came out of a play created by the Wilma Theater uh, Company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Oakland Theater Project has Begin the Begin, which is Don Troop as directing. Um, and that starts uh, next weekend. Uh, Sapiens uh, by Diana Burbano, um, I believe directing and writing. Um, Katya Rivera is directing the show, I think. Yeah. Oh, who is? Katya Rivera. Oh, Katya's directing. Yay. Um, oh, you've got that one. Great. So you have the link for that because I messed up the link there. Um, and then I've got a few things I'm doing. I'm going to be on this panel on Monday. So that'll be seven o'clock. Um, and there's a link. It's uh, through Playground. Uh, the Playground Zoom, Zoom Hall. Playground in the American Theater, part two. Yep. Um, and then I'm directing a piece called Sasha and the Angelier that's part of Playground, Best of Playground, which is next weekend, um, which is going to make next weekend very long from the time we do our podcast through other rehearsals that I have to do. It's going to be a long day. Um, and then um, Apersolo is doing their, they've been, Apersolo has been around forever doing what was originally a solo performance festival and has grown over the decades into an arts festival. Um, but they are going back to their roots with this per- solo performance, but on Zoom. Um, and this is, uh, there's two programs. Program one starts June 9th and it's Black men embracing our light. So it's four Black men telling their stories of their interactions with the police. Mm-hmm. Obviously none of them got killed, but that didn't mean it was a good story. And I directed one uh, by Vernon Medeiros, my story. And so that'll be a part of that. And then his program two starts June 17th. And it's Thomas's, Thomas has a character that he has created and done solo pieces of, uh, with over the years. And this is the latest iteration of that. And it's called, I think, Courage Under Fire. Um, and then I, <laughs> uh, June 6th, I will be doing a Q&A with Play Cafe. Um, you wrote your play, meet your director. And they'll talk about the role of the director in working with playwrights. So Play Cafe is a wonderful, wonderful organization that supports up and coming writers, writers who are just started starting to get their feet wet. And then the last one comes from one of our birthday boys from last year, Rob, last year, last week, Rob Melroy's who is at the Alley Theater. And he says right now, all of their stuff is online and available for free. So I'm adding that link in. Okay. Uh, let's see. I have most of yours. Best of Playground, you wrote your play, meet your director. Uh, Shakespeare, um, Titus Adronicus <laughs> and Richard III. Uh, we've talked about that. That'll be June the 26th. Alan Coyne is Demetrius. And uh, that'll be cool. Richard III, they're doing that next. Uh, Lamont Rogel and Cynthia Lagodzinski is uh, doing that. That'll be actually much later in August. Uh, we've talked about Sapiens. Uh, Shoot Me When by Ruben Grijalva. Uh, I believe this, uh, it's, stream, it's streaming now until May the 27th uh, on sfplayhouse.org. Uh, also, Letitia, Letitia Duarte is directing Occupant by Edward Albee, two soon old productions. Um, they actually begins this weekend, uh, only two weekends, and they don't have a website, but you can email to get a ticket. And I think that is it. And we've talked about quickfire monologues if you want, if you're an actor, and I think they're looking for um, actors uh, to Always. do spontaneous uh, monologues um 
and they they posted it on Facebook. Alan Coyne has done a bunch of them. Um, I think you did one, didn't you, Norman? I did one. Luel Sonoris has done a bunch. He and yeah. Alan are like seem to be in competition. <laughs> who can do the most? So if you want to be involved in quickfire monologues, uh, email quickfiremonologues at gmail.com and we'll have that link. That is it. Um, Carolina, I, I want to, now you have a couple of, you're direct, you're uh, teaching a couple of classes. So yeah. we'll post those, but did you want to talk about that? Um, mainly it's uh, teaching, I'm teaching acting three coming up. And that's the first one, uh, Studio ACT. And that starts um, the second week of June. Uh, it's once a week. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm excited about it. Then the next one up is the Latinx uh, Contemporary Latino Scene Study. And that's bilingual Spanish English. Great opportunity to, to practice um, in both languages. Um, and it's it's great as well. We do a lot of voice work in that. And um, then the last one, of course. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Is that also ACT? It is. All right. three of these are ACT. And then um, and then the one I mentioned, which was August 8th, it's a Sunday, 1 to 4 p.m. in person, Gary Theater, uh, you know, master class uh, intro to Michael Chekhov acting technique. And that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, San Francisco Shakes, we're going to start episode one of Pericles will be towards the end of June, I think June 25th or something like that. So uh, we'll start rolling on that. Yeah, and if you uh, email me or text me the uh, links, and we can put it on there so that folks can, can uh, if they want to sign up to uh, to watch it or see Pericles or uh, be involved in the uh, the acting courses, that I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be great. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Carolina. Did then, you uh, is neighborhood okay. stories done? Oh, you know what? This weekend, I think they have they do have one this weekend. It ends May the thirtieth, and Yubi Kabori and Sher Sherry Lynn Miller are performing. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll have that neighborhood-stories.com. So I'll have that link as well. Great. Carolina, did you enjoy yourself today? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You all are so fun. I really <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I was dying to have you on. I was like, hey, you know, let me, let me grab her. Let me grab her. So cool. I'm glad that it all worked out. And uh, many of you may be watching this on YouTube. If you are, please like and subscribe. Uh, our YouTube audience is growing. So this may be a thing we'll be doing even after COVID-19. We'll see. Um, but please like and subscribe and uh, let us know what you think, if, if you like it or don't like it on our comments section. Uh, if you're listening to this on the traditional podcast app, we're on all podcast apps and we're on Spotify. So if you have a uh, iPhone or an iPad, we're on that purple uh, podcast app, you can find us. If you are an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. And Caroline, I think you are on Instagram, Caro with a zero, Lina yeah. Moro. <laughs> and Twitter, you are Caro underscore Moronis. Yes, I'm, I'm more active on Instagram and Facebook than I am on Twitter. But yeah, you can find me on those social media. Yeah, right on. So if you're looking for a dancer, an actress, I think you're also a singer. I, I you know, we, when we sang on Women on the Verge, you were great singers, too. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. And I enjoyed I miss hearing you sing jazz. <laughs> Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. That was my little ritual before Your the show. Warm up. <laughs> my warm yeah. up. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, and for folks, if you're looking for a, uh, a an instructor, a teacher, I must think you're. Are you looking to be? Can people hire you as a teacher, Carolina? Um, 
Yeah, we could definitely, I mean, they could reach out to me um, through email or through these, you know, Instagram or Facebook. Um, I haven't been doing a lot of individual coaching has been mostly focused in classwork. Um, But that doesn't mean folks, you know, my students, they always still hit me up after class, even if a semester has ended and, you know, we do individual coaching. So folks can always reach out to me. Right on. Well, that's a sign of a good teacher when they reach out to you afterwards, you know, you don't All righty. Well, it's a wonderful um, Saturday, so everyone head on out there, and uh, thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find, find a better sign-off. Sign and we are out.